If you have your Bibles, Colossians chapter 1 is where we want to be. We're still talking about Jesus is Lord. We're looking at what Paul tells the Colossians, and we're going to get to that here in just a minute. So many things going on in our world, and it's not hard. We've said it before to watch the news, read the newspaper, follow Facebook, and see everything that's happening. And when you look at the world and you say, yeah, all that's happening, and most of it's negative, it's easy to blame Satan. It's easy to say Satan's alive and well, and he is, and he is probably much of the cause. But there's so much going on in our world, but when we look hard enough and deep enough, like when we look at the church at Colossae, we can also see there's a lot of things happening in the church today. A lot of good things, some bad things, but that's part of life. Like, what are we doing? Where are we going? Not only where are we going, but how are we going to get to where we want to go? How are we going to get there? And we struggle with these things. A couple of weeks ago, I told you about a minister uh, over by Lebanon who was let go after 14 months because supposedly the church wasn't following him. And he was let go, and, but it's all this going on. This week, uh, I found out a friend of mine uh, down in Ladoga, Indiana, uh, who battles, I didn't know this, because he's always an upbeat person, uh, battled depression and went through that cycle over and over again. And for the past three years, he's hid alcoholism from his wife and his church. And after the first year, he came clean to his board, and they gave him 90-day sabbatical, which I thought was great. But in the long run, they let him go uh, because some people couldn't trust him, I guess. And then you look at the church, and even the, nothing bad, but he minister at Covington, Mike, is in the hospital ICU with a blood infection. Uh, the same thing Clint fought, I believe, and, and Mark Abernathy. Uh, they caught it early, and, you know, so I think Satan truly is alive and well. I think Satan truly is wanting us to lose focus, to, to forget um, what God has for us. And that's what's happening in the church at Colossae. We've talked about how there's a group of people that's telling them that they're not good enough, uh, that God's not going to accept them into heaven. So let's read together. Colossians chapter 1, start with verse 21. We'll go through verse 27. Paul says this. He says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior. But now, he says... He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith established, sorry, I just lost my place, established and firm, not moved from the hope, held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that you have been proclaimed to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, have become a servant. He says, now I rejoice in what was suffered for you and fill up in my flesh what I was still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, which is the church. Paul says, I become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery, which we're talking about today, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in us, the mystery. Colossians speaks of this mystery that's been revealed. But what is this mystery that Paul is talking about, and what can it mean to us today? We want to get to that. 
One of the greatest scientists of our time is Albert Einstein. And you've probably studied him in high school and science. He was so focused about scientific theories and about life. There was a story about one time he got on a, a train to go someplace. You know, one of the simplest things. And, you know, he was one of these guys that just did life. If you ever saw a picture of him, he did life, but he didn't do his hair very often. You know, uh, he was just that kind of person. But one time it said Albert Einstein was taking a train out of town and he was so engrossed in his work when the conductor came by to get his ticket, he couldn't find his ticket. He looked and he looked and he looked and the conductor finally said, don't worry, Mr. Einstein, I know who you are, so don't worry about it. So the conductor went on and he was getting tickets from everybody else and the conductor looked back and he saw Albert Einstein literally on his knees looking under the seat, looking every place for this ticket. The conductor went back again and said, Mr. Einstein, please don't worry about it. I know who you are. And kind of exasperated, Albert Einstein looked at him and said, I know who I am. He goes, that's not the problem. He goes, I don't know where I'm going. (laughs) Been there, done that. That's what we're talking about. Some of the Christians at Colossae weren't sure where they were going. Even though they'd been taught even though they understood at one time, but there's these people, we'll talk about here in a minute, they're coming into the church, sneaking into the church, and telling them that their faith isn't good enough. You see, the Christians at Colossae had gotten to a point that they weren't sure where they were going. Somebody is trying to convince them that they weren't going to heaven like they thought they were going. Somebody had slipped into their midst and began to tell them that they weren't acceptable God. This somebody was confusing the truth, and it was confusing them, and they didn't know what to expect anymore, and imagine what that was like. You know, knowing the truth, but then having somebody come tell you something different than what you've believed, and now all of a sudden, you don't know if you're going to heaven or not. To me, that would be devastating. They had gotten to the point where they did not only know where they were going, they were even, not even sure who they were anymore. They'd lost their identity. They were flustered and they were doing all these things. To understand what is going on in the church at Colossae, it helps to look back. And when this letter was written, behind the scenes, there's a spiritual battle taking place. This congregation at Colossae was composed of Gentile believers. Now understand what a Gentile is, was anyone who was not of the Jewish descent. So all the Jewish people there, but also had Gentile people there. And Gentiles had always been despised by God's people, okay? Even the Jews of that day, probably in that church, referred to these Gentiles as dogs, or even worse. Now remember, in that day, it was men, dogs, women, Gentiles. Not, I'm not saying anything mean against the women, but that's what they thought. You know, they just didn't rank very high in that day. Now these Jewish people wouldn't eat with the Gentiles. Their kids weren't allowed to play with other Gentile kids. They wouldn't work with them. Even if they purchased something from the, Jew, uh, the, the Gentiles, they would have to take it home and wash it of all the uncleanness that came from those Gentiles. So when this first church got started, it's no surprise that there was Gentiles in the church. However, as the church was established even in Jerusalem, God gave the apostle Peter this vision about the church, indicating that these once hated Gentiles were now acceptable in his sight 
to receive salvation. And then God sends Peter to the house of the Roman centurion named Cornelius to preach the gospel to him and his family. Now, this is big stuff. This is huge for the church. This is huge for the Gentiles. That now, these once Gentiles who weren't looked upon as anything positive, now Peter has to tell the other ones, no, God is accepting who they are, and they're going to be accepted into the church. So along with Peter, they came six Jewish Christians. Now understand, when these Jewish Christians went with Peter, they had every intention of circumcising these Gentile dogs before they were allowed to go into the baptistry and to be baptized. But God had something different in mind. God had something different in store. Back in those days, the normal process was like it is today, where we believe, we repent, we confess, and we're baptized into Christ. And even in that day, you did all those things, and then maybe one of the apostles will lay hands on you, and you receive one of those spiritual gifts of prophesying or tongues. But however, this time, God short-circuited this whole idea, this process. Before Cornelius and the household could express their belief in Christ, before they could declare any, any of the repentance that would took place, before they could confess Jesus as Lord, before they could be baptized, God bore witness to them, and they were acceptable just as they were, no circumcision required. Now these uncircumcised, unbaptized Gentiles begin to speak in tongues. They begin to glorify God. And at that point, Peter turns to these other Jewish people that was with him and says this in Acts 10, 47. He said, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? Why ask the question? He asked a good question, but why ask it? Because that was exactly what the Jewish believers intended to do, was circumcise them and then baptize them. Because they weren't about to let these uncircumcised Gentile dogs enter the waters of baptism without being circumcised. However, God, once God had borne this witness to them, had told them what to do and what was going to happen, pretty much it was a done deal. They had accepted them as they were. No one dared say no to what Peter was telling them, to what God had done. They would visit the Gentile church, and after Gentile church, they would go and demand Gentiles become Jews before they become Christians. And a group of these circumcisers had just hit the town of Colossae. they just come into the church, and they're saying, you can't be a Christian, you can't get baptized, you can't do all these things unless you jump through these hoops first. And it was one of those deals, they would probably add this, and you had to be circumcised, and you had to go through this class, then you had to do this, and you had to do that before you could do all these things. And what God is saying is, no, no, no. All you have to do is believe, repent, confess, be baptized. Like the song we sing, just as we are. But when we read this, there were a number of Jews in the church that refused to accept this. Their message was basically this. Unless you were physically circumcised, and unless you have obeyed the laws of the Old Testament, on top of everything else taught in the church, you weren't saved and you couldn't be a Christian you couldn't be and wouldn't be acceptable to God. You had no hope of reaching heaven. Now, just be honest. I mean, what would happen if somebody stood where I'm standing and was preaching to you and you respected this guy, you respected his teaching, you respected everything he had to say, and all of a sudden he's telling you everything that you have right now is not acceptable to God. I mean, Wayne, Dr. Wayne Shaw is here, grew up in this church. I mean, I respect him wholeheartedly. 
I mean, what if Wayne stood up here in this church and told us that? Would one of the first inklings be, he may be right. And then we start questioning everything we've known about life, about faith, about heaven. We'd be confused, wouldn't we? And that's what these people are doing. They're confused. But that was then. This is now. But what about now? I mean, we understand there's no Jewish believers visiting modern-day congregation telling us we need to be circumcised. Thank you for all that. So you might ask, what difference could their situation have ever have been for us today? You see, the mystery wasn't just that God would accept the Gentiles. That wasn't the mystery. It wasn't that God had changed the rules so that circumcision was no longer a vital part of his covenant with his people. The mystery was this. Are you ready for this? Here's this mystery, that God would let anybody be acceptable to him. Anybody. Jew, Gentiles. The mystery was that God would allow those who had been his enemies to now be called his friends. The mystery was that God would accept anyone like you, like me, to become his children. Man, that's the mystery. And the bigger mystery is this, that God would accept those even we would have trouble accepting. I mean, again, let's be honest. There's people in this world, there's people in our lives that we would have trouble saying, yeah, you're going to go to heaven. I'll be really surprised if I see you in heaven. And you know what the greater thing about that is? They're going to be really surprised when they see us there too. You know, it's going to be, you made it? Cool. You know. So the surprise is both ways. But you know those people that we might have trouble saying we're going to get to go to heaven. You know, the prostitutes, the homosexuals, the adulterers, the thieves, the swindlers, and worse, the Bible says. God certainly couldn't forgive such people the hurt and the pain and the loss they had caused others, right? And I'll tell you right now, God agrees with that. God agrees that these people don't deserve to go to heaven. Let's get that straight. I know I'm not politically correct on that. I know I can't say that out in public, that those people don't deserve heaven. But get this. 1 Corinthians 9, 6, 9 through 10 says this. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, no adulterers, nor milk prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders. These thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, or swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. He says it right here. God says, no, they don't deserve it. These people basically have no right to get into heaven, but that's the mystery. Are you ready? They can get into heaven. Okay? They can get into heaven. Paul continues telling the Corinthian church, that was some of you... That's how you were, he says. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. You see, at one time, we were sinners just like those. And God forgave us. God can forgive anybody. He tells them that that is what some of us were. And Paul tells the Colossians, Christians, exactly the same thing. In Colossians 1.21, it says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. That's how you were. What did they do then that was acceptable to God? 
What did we do that was acceptable to God? What action of contrition was sufficient to ever make God change his mind and forgive them or even forgive me and forgive you? What was it? The answer is pretty simple. What did they do? Nothing. They did absolutely nothing. They could do nothing to make God change his mind. Then what changed God's mind? What was it that changed God's mind? What made them acceptable God? What changed them from being enemies to being his children? Look again at verses 21 and 22. Again, he says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free of accusation. Okay, nothing we have done. Yeah, he asked us to accept him as our personal Lord and Savior, to take that step of faith. He asked us to be baptized, but we do those things, but there's nothing that we could have done to make him accept us. It's not our faith, not our repentance, not our confessing him, not our baptism. None of that has earned you a place in heaven. It's what God has done for us. So quit trying to think we can earn our way to heaven. We were decorating yesterday, and I was putting these things up on top and making Lisa very, very nervous uh, as I was going up and down the ladder and all those things. And I was talking to Tom, and he kind of said, well, what better way to go, you know? I kind of got to agree, you know, decorating for Jesus. And he goes, yeah, it's that fall. And I said, no, it's not the fall. It's the stop that'll get you. But, you know, yeah, what better way to go than decorating for Jesus for VBS? It would put a damper on VBS a little bit, but, you know, what better way? But, you know, even all that doesn't earn me a place in heaven. It really doesn't. And we have to realize what God is doing for us. See, this is how we respond to God's gifts. But those responses didn't get one single thing to purchase our salvation. It is Christ's death on the cross that gives us our salvation. So when we understand this, when we get this, and Jesus is the only one who will ever get you into God's presence because he is the only one who has died to take your place. He died for us. He's the only one that has shed his blood for our sins could be removed. So we have to remember, I don't care what all these other people at the church of Colossae were saying, that their faith wasn't good enough, their belief wasn't good enough, that God wasn't going to accept them. And I'm telling you right here, right now, there's going to be people in our life that's going to tell you things aren't important. You you don't have to study God's word. You don't have to read the scriptures. You don't need to pray. You don't need to do these things. I'm telling you right now, don't accept substitutes than what the truth is. Because the truth is what the truth is. Don't be fooled into believing there is something else that can make you more acceptable to God. There is no other way to be saved except through Jesus Christ and his death and his burial and his resurrection. And Paul's telling the Colossians, and he's telling us, I think, that this is reality. This is the way it is that we believe, we confess, we accept, and we are baptized into Christ Jesus, into his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And Paul is saying, now, live like it. He's saying, now, accept it. Now, believe it. Now, live the way we are called. Don't let anybody rob you of your faith or your hope by getting you to accept a lie. 
that your salvation has to somehow be earned or you have to do more than what the Bible tells us. If Jesus' death on the cross for you isn't enough for you, then nothing will be. Nothing will be. That's why Paul continues very quickly in Colossians 1, 22 and 23. He says, He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight, without blemish and free of accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. In other words, you will only be holy and without blemish in His presence. You will only be free from the guilt and accusation of our past sin if we continue in our faith. If you are firm in our belief, if you refuse to be moved from the hope that is ours in the gospel. That's the mystery that he wants us to know that, yes, we can be accepted. No matter of our past sins, no matter of our current sins, no matter what's happening in our life right now, we may be struggling with different things. Like the friend of mine who for three years hid alcohol from his wife and his church and everything going on. Yeah, we might hide it. It's going to come out eventually. But I truly believe, even as he steps away from ministry for a season, I truly believe God can and will still use him because of who God is. There's a youth minister who shared his experience in one of his last classes. The professor had taught all semester, and now it came time for the final exam. And in this class of youth ministers and probably ministers, uh, they were getting ready, and everybody was cramming for the test and studying last minute. And before the test, the professor actually said, you know, we'll go over some of the things on the test, and we'll make sure everybody's on the same page. So they're doing all these things. But all of a sudden, this professor's talking about things that this youth minister wasn't really aware of. And the kid raised his hand, and he asked the question, where is all this coming from? The professor said, that's from in the book, and you were responsible for everything that was in the book that you were supposed to read. The youth minister thought, he goes, can't argue with that, you know. So they get ready, and the professor's handing out the test, and he says, I want everybody to leave the test face down. When everybody has a test, I will tell you to take your test. So everybody gets their test, and everybody turns it over, and every one of the questions, the answer is already there. The professor goes, I want you all to know. He goes, all your tests have the answers, and the answers are right. He goes, everybody in this class will get an A plus on his final test. Well, the kids were kind of blown away. But all semester, they had been taught about grace and talking about grace and doing all those things about what grace is. And the professor goes, I want you to understand. He goes, what did you earn? Or how did you earn this A+. What did you do to earn it? He went to every kid and asked them that question. Chris Allman said, well, we studied, we did this, we did that. But the professor goes, I took the test for you. The one who wrote the test gave you the answers. It's the same with Jesus. God gives us this grace. He gives it to us because he wants us to have it. The God who created the universe, who created you, who created me, the God of the universe who is with us today, no matter what we're going through, is the God who wrote this script. He wrote the script of your life. He wrote the script of my life. And all he wants us to do is accept who he is, to believe in him. Just to repent of our sins, to confess his name, to be baptized, receive that gift of the Holy Spirit. So yes, that we can one day go to heaven. Not by what we're going to do, 
but by what he does in us. God's grace covers all of our sins because he died on the cross for you and for me.